Welcome to Sis Internet Radio. Sisters in Spirit, affectionately called Sis, is a nurturing environment for women that inspires harmony in everyday living, shares resources that empower, offers information and support that nourishes the soul, balances our mental and physical well-being, and promotes inner peace and heightened spirituality. Our vision is a world where women live consciously, harmoniously, and spiritually to positively impact our lives and the lives of those with whom we come into contact. Join us as we live life with style, grace, and of course, much joy. Welcome to our Sisters in Spirit broadcast for Thursday, August 23rd, 2012. You're here with your host, Raisa, and I'm Skye. Good evening, Raisa. How are you? Good evening, Skye. I'm doing very well. Truly excited to be with the audience, continuing our series on healing and well-being. How are you today? I'm doing very well, thank you, and just really excited about the show. Um, We are talking about healing energy tonight, and our topic is, what do your feet say about your health? And you're here with our special guest this evening, Dr. Monique Roll, DPM, Doctor of Podiatric Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Roll. How are you this evening? I'm very well. Thank you for having me tonight. I appreciate that. We're excited to have you with us and, and to be talking about this topic this evening. But before we go a little bit further into our discussion, I'd like to share with our listeners a little more information about you. Dr. Monique Roll was born and raised in Richmond, Virginia. She received her undergraduate education at Howard University, her Master's of Education at the George Washington University, and her medical education at Temple University. Dr. Roll completed her rigorous four-year surgical training at New York Hospital of Queens in Flushing, New York, an affiliate of the Wild Cornell Medical College of Columbia University. Dr. Roll joined the physician staff of the Alexandria Podiatry Associates of Alexandria, Virginia, in July 2011. She's also on staff at Innova Fair Oaks Hospital and Innova Mount Vernon Hospital and is a staff physician for the Wound Healing Center at Mount Vernon Hospital. Dr. Roll is board eligible by the American Board of Podiatric Surgery. Her interests include diabetic limb salvage and reconstructive foot and ankle surgery. In her spare time, Dr. Roll enjoys running, spinning, and spending time with family and friends. Again, welcome. Thank you. Dr. Well, let's start at the beginning, and would you would you please share with us um, what motivated you to be interested in foot health and to pursue a career as a podiatrist? Well, to answer that question, I have to go back to my years um, at Howard University, my alma mater. Um, I had a really amazing health professional advisor who has passed away in recent years. Her name was Dr. Georgiana of Uncle Cole, and um, she was very instrumental in exposing all of the science majors to the fields of various fields of medicine, so whether it be dentistry, podiatry, allopathic, osteopathic, you know, different specialties. So um, she used to always have a lot of trips and opportunities for us to explore different professions in the medical field. 
Um, so it was one of our trips to Temple University School of Podiatric Medicine that really got me interested into the field of podiatry. Uh, I also have to credit my one of my mentors, Dr. Kirk Jeter, who is the chief of podiatric surgery at Howard University Hospital. Uh, without him, I really wouldn't have had the exposure on a personal level to podiatry as far as the office setting, the operating room, and just the various aspects of podiatric medicine and surgery. So uh, I just really have had a lot of exposure and a lot of help throughout the years with people who just really took the time to expose me to various aspects of medicine. Okay, awesome. Thank you. So let's get into um, our discussion about the feet. Um, can you tell us about our feet? You know, what is good foot health? Uh, what constitutes healthy feet? Um, well, healthy feet are feet that are free of infection, free of um, pain for the most part, and free of issues or challenges concerning ambulating or walking. So those are the major areas that really constitute good you know, foot health. As far as diabetic foot health, which is really kind of what I wanted to focus on mostly this evening, as far as that's concerned, that means free of any ulcers or any issues concerning infection, whether it be a fungal infection or something considered a bacterial infection. So overall foot health basically means that you're free of infection or free of any type of disease process that's manifesting itself in the foot or lower extremity. Okay, and some other kind of interesting facts about the feet would be um, that the feet contain like a quarter of the body's bones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that the feet also has about 33 joints in it. Uh, those are some yes. of the things that I saw as I was doing research, and, you know, we typically don't think about that. We just, you know, think about our little lowly feet and just almost do anything to them. But um, they're very um, instrumental in our total well-being. There's about 100 tendons and muscles and ligaments in our feet. So uh, we we need to really take better care and, and really realign our focus to um, include our, our foot health. Now, you mentioned that you wanted to focus on, um, on diabetic um, uh, health in terms of our feet. Um, can you talk about that in a, a little more detail, and then talk about some of the other illnesses as well that have a direct impact on our feet or um, that will cause symptoms of that illness to manifest in our feet? Yes. So, um, you know, as we know, diabetes has become a serious epidemic in this country. Uh, there are millions of people who are diagnosed yearly with diabetes, um, it's become a serious problem, especially among adolescent population as childhood obesity is, is a serious problem. So we're seeing more and more young people, you know, adolescent, I mean, under the age of 13, you know, they're being diagnosed with diabetes. So it's definitely a serious problem. And also as people live longer, we're seeing more of the elderly patients that are starting to develop diabetes. Um, the problem with, with diabetic foot, as I'll refer to it, um, many diabetics have something what's referred to as peripheral neuropathy. So neuropathy is the inability to feel something with the full sensation you would normally feel it with. So because of diabetes, many times the blood sugars are uncontrolled, which leads to nerve damage. 
And when patients have nerve damage, they're unable to feel their feet. So when you and I have a protective sensation, meaning if we step on a nail or a tack or feel something hot or that's painful, we can feel that. But people who are diabetic don't have that, that mechanism. So oftentimes when people have diabetes, they can develop infections from a foreign body, a puncture wound, um, from burns, from water, because they are not able to feel things. So many times we're seeing patients, um, especially in a hospital setting, that are coming in with ulcerations or sores on their feet. Oftentimes in the office they'll come in with complaints of numbness or tingling in their feet. Um, and especially among the African-American community, it's a really big problem. And a lot of that relates to, you know, culturally our diet. A lot of the things that we eat, although it tastes very well, it's often very unhealthy. So there's just a lot of um, different aspects of the diabetic foot. But that's the main issue is this neuropathy and causes inability to um, feel things. The other aspect is circulation issues. Um, diabetes affects three major systems in the body. The first one is the eye. Um, second one are the kidneys, and the third one are the arterial system. So all that means is that all the, as the vessels get smaller and smaller into the kidneys, the eyes, or the feet, a lot of times patients develop what's called gangrene. So a lot of patients may have had a grandmother or a family member that lost a leg, had an amputation, and usually that happens because of lack of blood flow. And you combine that with unable to feel things, and then that can lead to amputation. So we try to do a lot of preventative maintenance and education about foot care in general just to prevent those things. And lastly, I'll just say a lot of times people don't come in until there's a problem because oftentimes most people don't really look at their feet sometimes mm-hmm. and many times they're not inspecting and doing daily inspections because of weight. Sometimes they're not able to reach down and actually look. So we'll tell patients to get a mirror if you can't see or if you have a family member that can check for you. So um, there's there's such a vast topic. (laughs) I'm trying to cover, like, the most, you know, big points, but the diabetic foot is something I'm very passionate about because it affects so many of our African-American, you know, community members. So... Can we step back for a moment? You were mentioning early, earlier you mentioned that um, the ulcers and the inability to feel, and you talked about ulcers and other types of cuts and things like that. So mm-hmm. I was under the impression that the actual disease or the diabetes is what caused the ulcers, but is it more that pe- things are happening to a person's foot and they don't feel it, so then it, get, it gets infected and things like that, or is the disease actually causing the ulcers and the infection, the infections. Right. So the the infection, so the disease process, part of the sequelae of the disease can cause those manifestations of inability to feel circulation mm-hmm. issues. But yes, the neuropathy is the main culprit behind people developing sores because many times as patients are not aware of their feet and then a lot of times, you know, they'll actually look down and see drainage in a sock or something pus or something like that. They'll oh. often notice that there's something going on. But mm-hmm. until they actually look, because they have neuropathy, they won't notice. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. So we've talked about um, diabetes. Are there other um, um, uh, illnesses or um diseases within the body that also manifest themselves in the feet? 
Yes, um, especially dealing with swelling. Many times patients will come in complaining of um, having an issue with swelling in the lower extremity. So many times that's related to heart congestive heart failure or high blood pressure. Um, so a lot of times we're often the main, you know, the first um, line of contact concerning diagnosing other systemic disease um, problems. Many times we're the ones who are actually telling the patient to go to their primary doctor because we notice, you know, Mrs. Smith's leg is swollen and we think that this patient might be in heart failure. And many times, unfortunately, that's the case. So, yes, many things can be picked up in the lower extremity. Um, another thing is also the parents of nails. Many times patients will come in with uh, concerning of nail fungus or brittleness to the nails, different color changes to the nails. There are also many diseases um, that can be traced to nail health, actually quite a few. So, And examples of those are um, psoriasis, which is a skin condition, you often can see people who have um, issues with breathing, so you can see blue changes suggesting they don't have adequate um, blood flow. Um, vitamin deficiencies can be seen in the nails. So podiatry is a lot more than just, you know, toenails and <laughs> mm-hmm. and ulcers. We see a lot of a lot of things from trauma to infection to all types of things can be diagnosed in the lower extremity. We sometimes hear people talking about different, uh, you've mentioned some of them in terms of the swelling and the numbness, and you talked about the um, the nails, but what about uh, people that um, get cramps in their feet or, um, you know, uh, um, talk about or complain about pains, and, and I've heard this from various people, pain under the bottom of their feet or just getting uh, cramps or what they used to call Charlie horses in their feet, is that also uh, associated with um, lack poor circulation or what are some of the um, symptoms or what's causing those symptoms? Yes, I'm I'm so glad that you mentioned that because cramping in the legs are often a very significant sign of poor circulation. Um, Usually one of the main questions I always ask a patient is how far can you walk before you have to stop? And what that is called is intermittent claudication. And what that means is the patient has to stop and pause because the oxygen to the muscle tissue is is not gotten there adequately. So the muscle is cramping because of the lactic acid in the muscle. So that is a very telltale sign oftentimes that the patient has some type of arterial compromise. So they're having some issues with that. Um, Cramping can also mean that um, sometimes patients that have high blood pressure on certain medications, the potassium is low, and so they get cramped. So... um, the key is really, I've really learned to be a much better listener, and I'm still learning that, to be a, a good listener. But many times if you listen to the patient and you ask the right questions, they'll give you the diagnosis. You just have to, to ask and probe and really mm-hmm. kind of put together what they're telling you. And sometimes they might not be able to explain it in medical terms, of course, but they really, you can get a great understanding of what's really happening in the whole body just by Listening to mm-hmm. So um, as far as I think you asked also about um, oh, pain in the bottom of the foot, mm-hmm. and I think it's that's one of the main things that bring a lot of patients to the office um, is heel pain. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's funny because a lot of times a lot of my male patients will come in, which most of the time 
if a male patient is coming to the office, they truly have pain because, mm-hmm. and the myth is true in, in part, a lot of times men don't go to the doctor unless they truly have an issue. So mm-hmm. what you refer to um, is called plantar fasciitis. So a lot of people might know it as getting out of bed first thing in the morning or after being sedentary, they have excruciating heel pain. Um, and that's very treatable, very oftentimes um, with conservative treatment. It's not very often that people have to have surgery for heel pain, but that's something we treat in our office very mm-hmm. frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, something else I've, I've noticed, and this might be straying a little bit of, away from exactly foot um, issues, but I've noticed a lot of people who walk with an uneven walk or um, almost like a limp, and I've seen that increasing over the years. Is that directly related to, related to the foot, or is that more of a muscular skeletal um, uh, situation? Mm-hmm. Um, it could be musculoskeletal. Sometimes patients are born with what's called a limb length discrepancy, where one leg is longer or shorter than the other. Um, and, again, that's treatable as well. A lot of times we'll send patients to what's called an orthotist or a podorthist, which is a trained individual who makes prosthesis or shoe lifts mm-hmm. or all types of modifications to shoes so that patients can walk on an even surface. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's related to cerebral palsy or um, multiple sclerosis or mm-hmm. um, older patients sometimes have had polio or other issues. Um, but sometimes um, it just depends on what type of um, other disease process they're going on. But the limping... Um, you mean like an older age group or younger or just? Well, actually, I've noticed this, and and it's like um, across the spectrum. Even you know, just here in in, in where I live in Washington D.C., I've noticed that there are a lot more people limping. You know, and it's not a dramatic limp, but it's just you know, people are. It's like their gait is kind of off. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, that's just something that I've noticed being out and about over the probably more so over the last five or six years or so. So I was just wondering if that was particularly um, related to um, to your feet in any kind of way. Yeah, oftentimes, I mean, that's one of the main, you know, ways we help to understand the level of pain because by the time a patient is limping, something is going on. Either it's a fracture or heel pain or something else larger is happening. But if mm-hmm. you're limping, you need to <laughs> to be seen. You should not right. be limping. So, mm-hmm. um, especially, you know, I guess in the city, people are walking a lot more and just more active. So a lot of shoes or things that they might be wearing may not be necessarily appropriate for the activity or sometimes they may underestimate how far they have to walk in a particular pair of shoes. <laughs> so um, it just depends on the situation. Okay. And what about instances of um, where you have your a foot that is curling or, you know, it's kind of like tilted to the side. You, do you, I don't know if I'm explaining that correctly, but I've seen actually that. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, you mentioned you the digits that are contracted? No, like I mean Anderson? like um, say you walk and your, your foot is kind of curled more to the outside than to the inside, and you can kind of like see that in some somehow in some ways in the way people's shoes are set after they walk for a while, their foot might be curled or, you know, the toes are curled or the foot is curled to the left or to the right or something like that. I don't know if I'm explaining it correctly or not. I don't, 
Do you mean like wear on the actual shoe itself? Or well, you can see the wear on the shoe because the foot is curled. You know, mm-hmm. it's like leaning more to the left or to the right, curled more to the left or the right. Okay. Well, certain some certain foot types, especially patients that have flat feet, may be walking um, what was called pronation. They're walking more on the inner side of their foot. Mm-hmm. So sometimes certain gait patterns can cause wear on certain parts of the of the shoe. I think I'm hope I'm answering the question. No, I, I was just speaking of what could be causing that to manifest in the foot other than maybe your you know, that's just the way your foot is made. Is there something uh, disease or something that's related to that? Because I've seen instances of that as well. And I'm probably not describing it as best I can, but um yeah. it's just a curl yeah, foot. Mm-hmm. A curl foot. Okay. I think I don't know if you were describing bunions or um that I don't sure. No, I'm not sure what I think. Okay. <laughs> but um what is bunions since we're talking about bunions, what is bunions related to and heart patches under the bottom of the foot and stuff like that? What are some yeah. of those causes? Well, bunions usually um uh, common contrary to what a lot of people think, um Bunions are not caused by shoes, and that's that's a huge thing I hear all the time. People come in and say, I wore the wrong shoes growing up, and I I got a bunion, and that is that is not the case. Now, bunions, shoes can exacerbate the problem, meaning it can cause more pain or discomfort to your bunion, but foot type is inherited. If you look at your parents, you know, people usually have three types of foot type, flat foot, high arch foot, or what's called a medium or rectus foot. So... Bunions usually come from a very flat or very flexible type of foot type where that area of the foot is very flexible, so there's an imbalance between the structures that insert along the big toe joint um, that happen. So over time, you may even see in, there's kids with bunions, and that's why you know we know it's not definitely not due to shoe wear. I've seen kids that are nine years old that have bunions, which is called a juvenile bunion. So... Again, shoes can exacerbate the problem, but that's not the main cause for a bunion. It's an imbalance in the structures that are around the big toe. So people may notice that they have a protrusion of the bone that's sticking out. The toe starts to curve over Mm -hmm. time. Um, All bunions don't have to have surgery. I have patients in their 80s and 90s who have huge bunions and never had surgery because they're not painful. Um, and I have colleagues who do cosmetic foot surgery. I trained in New York, and I trained with some people who do that type of surgery, which is, is great. But if you don't have pain, I usually don't recommend that people have um, surgery just because of cosmesis. Mm-hmm. Um, usually you can wear an accommodative shoe, like a wider shoe to accommodate it. Um, most questions I get asked about bunions are, when do I have to have, when, when should I have surgery? And I usually tell people when you have pain, when you get to the point where you have problems in all types of shoes, um, with and without shoes, you have pain, it's affecting the way that you function. That's when it's time to have surgery. Um, mm-hmm. Oftentimes, the you know, these days we do a lot of um, outpatient surgery. So those days are gone when patients have to stay in the hospital for a surgical procedure. It's done in and out of the hospital. Um, you don't have to stay overnight. Um, usually, depending on how severe the bunion is, will determine the procedure that you choose. So, a smaller bunion usually requires less hardware and less time off your foot. A larger bunion, 
sometimes can actually have you in a cast or what's called, you might see those little Herman Monster fracture boots and they have you in that for several weeks. Um, So it just depends. And many people live with bunions and it's not something you have to have surgery with, only if, you know, there's pain. No, thank you. What are some of the... um we talked about some of the major um, illnesses or diseases that manifest themselves in the foot or cause foot problems. What it, and, and in terms of diabetes, we know that, um, you know, lifestyle and just preventative um, medicines can help um, alleviate that or help um, get it to the point where it's not, affecting your feet. Are there other things that can be done? Uh, You talked about the arteries, the illnesses with the arteries. What can people do when they have symptoms that are manifesting in their feet? What can they do to help alleviate uh, some of these diseases that's happening, that's causing these symptoms? Right. So a lot of times, by the time a patient, unfortunately, is having an ulcer or some type of negative um, outcome in their manifesting in their foot from their disease, it's usually because they have an uncontrolled diabetes, meaning that um, they're they're taking insulin, which is an injectable form of medication that helps keep your blood sugar down. If they're taking insulin and they're not getting the results that they normally did, sometimes patients can become what's called insulin resistant. Over time, the medication or dosages they took before are just not helping anymore. So... Um, if that's the case, then they need to have maybe extra help other than their family practitioner, maybe an endocrinologist, which is a doctor that specializes in metabolic diseases, whether it's diabetes or thyroid issues. So the key is controlling your blood sugars. I cannot stress that enough. Um, 99% of the time when a patient comes into the hospital with an infection, and they do stick their finger and check their blood sugar. Their blood sugars I've seen anywhere from, I mean, 600, you know, to 300. And a normal blood sugar range it should be between 80 and one about 150 or 160 for a diabetic patient, around wow. that range. Um, so if you're that type of uncontrolled diabetic, you're in a lot of trouble because once your blood sugars get that high, if you get an infection and your blood sugars are consistently high that way, it affects the way that you heal. So I think the most important take-home point is if you're diabetic, please make sure that you take care of your your blood sugars, meaning you should be checking your blood sugars, you know, at mealtime. You should be managing your blood sugar, not just taking pills and not checking your blood sugars. Um, There's also one other thing I want to mention about that. Um, When you go have your physical or whatever you're having done for your um, annual checkups of blood work, there's one specific test that's very important, and it's called a hemoglobin A1C. And sometimes I'll just call it A1C just so patients can remember, you know, to ask for it. But that test is very important because it averages a diabetic blood sugar over three months. So I always tell patients, you can't cheat on the test. (laughs) So it doesn't matter what you ate the night before and you take this test. It helps convert your blood sugar number into a percentage. So Mm. for a diabetic patient, we want the number to be below 7. So that number is very, very important because basically it's telling us how controlled you are on a a regular basis. I mean, we all have good days and bad days, even non-diabetics. I know I eat crazy sometimes. Sometimes I'm great. But we just really want the 
the tight control of the blood sugar as consistently as possible to avoid all of these, you know, negative manifestations in the foot. So really it's a matter of um, something that we try to uh, encourage and inspire people to do is to be proactive and to be engaged with your health. I know a lot of our audiences, they're into homeopathic medicines and natural remedies and things like that. So it's really about being conscious on a regular basis of your health, uh, you know, examining your feet on a regular basis, which is something that I know a lot of people probably don't do. Uh, We'll go to, um, you know, have our nails done, have the mani-pedis and things like that. Mm -hmm. But in terms of, like, really examining our feet, we need to be a, um, a little more conscious of that and just governing our overall health because, I mean, the what you've mentioned, the uh, diabetes, the uh, circulation, um, the arteries, and all of those things are interrelated, and it's a matter of being uh, conscious of your health on an ongoing basis. And when right. you see something is wrong, you know, to address it without letting it um, just linger on and getting out of control. And, you know, the diabetes and some of the other, uh, the high blood pressure, those kind of things can be, um, in, a, in a lot of cases, not in every case, but in most cases, they can be controlled and managed through lifestyle changes. Yes, yes, which is very important. I mean, even our first lady, you know, Michelle Obama, is, has her initiative, Let's Move. And, you know, I always encourage patients to be active and, you know, I'm a runner, I enjoy running, but everyone can't do everything. So I always tell people, find what you like to do. If you like Zumba, you like to dance, do Zumba. If you, Even if you just start walking 10 minutes a day after a meal, it's something. You did something. I don't expect, you know, we have busy lifestyles. Who has time to be in the gym for hours on end? I know I don't. So I don't expect people to, you know, overdo it, but just, get moving, go for a walk, um, you know, get up off the couch after you've eaten and walk through your neighborhood, take a friend, take your wife, your husband, your your dog, just move, do something. Because a lot of times patients that are diabetic often can get off of their medications by losing weight because when the weight is lost, the insulin receptors in the body are more sensitive so they're able to do something with the blood sugar and take it to where it needs to go. So just I just encourage people to move um, baby steps. No one expects anyone to do Ironman or run a half marathon, but just, you know, kind of try to make take small steps is, is the point. Mm-hmm. And with this automated technology where everything is done for us, you know, like I have a Roomba, so I'm not even vacuuming the floor. We're moving less, and in moving less, the body is, circulating less and allowing blockages and dis-ease to manifest in the body, whereas before, if we were washing clothes and scrubbing it on a scrub board or, you know, moving more, and the natural exercise of doing work, then we wouldn't have as many issues with our feet or other parts of our body. Right. That is very true. Very true. So true. Okay, I'd like to let our listeners know that we are listening to Dr. Monique Roll, Doctor of Podiatric Medicine. If you're interested in talking or asking a question of Dr. Roll, please um, press the 1 and we'll bring you into the conversation. 
And I'd like um, to ask you, Dr. Wall, at this time, if you would give your contact information. Yes. So I'm a part of a group of three other physicians, um, Drs. Jeffrey Coster, Dr. Jeffrey Garviano, and Dr. June Yoon. And three of us, the four of us practice in two offices. One of our offices is located in Alexandria, Virginia. It's at 3543 West Braddock Road in the Bradley Shopping Center. And our second office is located in Annandale, Virginia, which is 7023 Little River Turnpike in Annandale, Virginia. Um, we have one office number, even though we have two, two locations, and the number is 703 379-0700, really easy number. And we also have a website, which is www.alexandriapodiatry.org. And so there you can read all about what podiatrists do, what we treat, all of our personal interests and our academic interests and the things we like um, to treat our specialties, uh, we see pediatrics, we see geriatrics, we see everyone, young, old, we see trauma, we see infection. We are the authority of the foot and ankle. So if you have any issues concerning that, that's that's what we do every day. So. So you mentioned earlier that you listen to people and most of the time they're telling you what the issues are or you know, giving you advice on how they should heal and what advice you can give them. So how do people become more active in their own healing besides the walking and moving? What else can they do? Um, reading um, is good. I think I laugh sometimes because reading is good, and I encourage people to read about conditions. And some a lot of patients, they actually impress me with their knowledge. Um, <laughs> when they come in, you know, it's a very educated society now with the Internet, so oftentimes Patients will come in with an idea of what the problem is. Um, sometimes that's good, sometimes it's not, because sometimes once a person gets a, a thought of what they think they have, it's hard to convince them otherwise that that's not what they have. So I do encourage people to look at reputable sites like um, the National Library of Medicine, NIH. Um, WebMD is pretty good as well. I don't want to call too many names, but um, reading is good. But just be careful what you read on the Internet, because everything on the Internet is not true. <laughs> so... Um, I encourage people to read about their condition, and once you have a diagnosis, I should say, to read about your condition, to know things that you can do for yourself to help you um, to improve your your, situ- your your condition. That's that's um, true, and and also to be able to kind of like have an understanding of what the doctor is talking about once you go into the room. If you do a little research beforehand you'll have a better understanding of what they're they're talking about um, once you're there at the appointment. Um, I'd like right. to also um, spend a little time talking about the importance of shoes and um, foot health. Uh, it's September. Kids are going back to school, so shoes, of course, is going to be one of those items that's purchased. Uh, what can you um, share with us, especially parents, on uh, what they need to look for or what would be a good fit or how to, you know, make sure their shoes, the children's shoes are fitting well? Yes, that's an excellent point. Um, We get a lot of questions all the time about um, shoe wear, what types of shoes are good, which are bad, what should my child be wearing. Um, One of the most important things, I think, are to have your child's foot measured because kids grow very fast. 
um, and their foot feet are always changing. So a lot of times, you know, the patient may be wearing a shoe that's too small or too large. So having the child's foot measured professionally is very important. Um, that's one of the most important things. I think also allowing the child to wear a shoe that's comfortable is important. I know there's a lot of, you know, styles that are out and kids, you know, peer pressure to wear certain things and certain types of shoes. But I always stress where it was comfortable. Um, we have a lot of kids that come in that have a congenital, you know, they're born with a flat foot or certain foot types, so it may be a little bit more difficult to wear a shoe, um, certain types of shoes. Um, kids that are, one of the things I want to mention is, you know, kids that are complaining of foot pain should definitely be taken seriously. Um, there are not too many things that cause a lot of foot pain in, in pediatric feet. So if the child is complaining of heel pain, especially a lot of times if something going on with the growth plate, the child is usually that child is usually a very active athletic type of child that's having some irritation of the growth plate in the heel. Um, something else kids complain about their painful flat feet. So certain shoes have a normally what's called a last, the last of the shoe, which is the foundation. Certain shoes have a flat last with no support. So mm-hmm. um, I'm going to call names, but certain <laughs> shoes like Converse, Nike, um, some of the Skechers shoes have a very flat foundation. So if your child has a flat foot and they're complaining of painful flat feet, you really want to steer clear of shoes that don't have support. Um, there is a place for flip-flops and sandals and things like that, but that should not be your child's daily, you know, shoe of choice every day. Mm-hmm. Um, some children, because of their foot type, when we're talking about shoes, they may require what's called an orthotic. An orthotic is a device that's put into the shoe to help provide support or some type of accommodation to a foot type, whether that be a flat foot, a high arch foot. It can be treated, you know, for myriad use to treat a myriad of issues. But oftentimes kids, especially with flat feet, require custom orthotics, and it's something we also do in our office, that we cast for an office, I should say. Okay. And, you know, it's interesting because I've noticed, um, you know, over the last couple of years that most shoes don't have support like they did in the past. A lot of shoes, they, they're just flat, and and they have no support like they used to. Right. But um, that's, that's good information to know because um, a child's foot is, is very important and in in it's growing and developing, so you want to have the best possible shoes available to you uh, for the child. Right. Oftentimes um, a running shoe, I do want to mention the APMA, the American Podiatric Medical Association. We do endorse ASICs. Um, as one of our sneakers of choice that we really believe in and we stand behind because of the engineering. So that's one choice. Um, New Balance is a great shoe as well, especially for any child or adult who may have a bunion or something that has a wider foot. They make a very wide um, toe box in the shoe to accommodate different foot issues. So there are a lot of things. Always, you know, basically just wear what's comfortable, wear what's supportive, and just pay attention if, you know, your child is complaining of foot pain. Um, mm-hmm. Those are important things. And also um, the weight of the backpacks. Um, is that an issue with children as well? Yes. Um, I would say more from a you know, spine issue, orthopedic, general mm-hmm. orthopedic issue. Um, yes, but definitely that can also cause foot pain because of heavy books. Um, it's not good for your back. It's definitely not good for your feet. So if you know, your child has a locker or they can leave books 
in a car or somewhere that they can be transported. Or even the this type of um, book bags that are, or have rollers on them. Mm-hmm. Um, the child has just has to carry that many books. I would suggest something that's that they can put on wheels to avoid any pain. Okay, thank you. Now let's trans- transition into that same topic, but for women and men. But I think women have more problems with shoes. <laughs> yes, I would, I would have say a so. Question from a caller as well. So when you're ready. Okay. Well, would you like to take the caller now? Sure, sure. I'll you. Okay, caller is last four digits of your phone number, 1218. You have a question. You are on the air. Okay, I do. When I lay down at night, when I go to bed, I get a, a tingling in my feet. I'm sure it's the circulation. I was wondering if there's anything that I can do during the day that would alleviate that because as I'm getting older, it's starting to happen um, more frequently. Right. So tingling in the feet can come from different reasons. Sometimes the tingling or numbness can be coming from a, a back problem. Or maybe if the patient, if you have possible a back issue or injury that can cause numbness or tingling, um, it could be something, it's, uh, restless leg syndrome. There's a lot of different things that could be going on causing the tingling. Um, there's something you definitely, you know, you want to have evaluated to see the different reasons. Um, it could also be what's called an aroma. Sometimes people have tingling to the foot, to the toes, because of um, a nerve problem in the foot. Now, could that nerve problem in the foot be from surgery? Because I did have bunion surgery years ago. That is possible. That is possible, but usually um, that type of thing, usually you'll notice much closer to the time of the surgery, if, if that's the, even the area that you're talk, you know, referring to. Um, like I said, the differential could be many different things, anything from an aroma to um, a n- general nerve issue that's coming from a higher-up level of the back or could be many, many different things. Mm-hmm. Oh. So it's a good idea to go and have it checked out to find out. Yes, yes, I would definitely say so, especially if it's, you know, affecting your function and you feel like you're not sleeping at night or it's definitely becoming an issue of discomfort, I would definitely seek medical attention for that. So come see us, and hopefully we can try to help you with that. I'm in Atlanta, so I can't come Oh, you're in Atlanta. Oh, thank you, Atlanta. (laughs) Okay. But I definitely... if she wants, I'm sorry, I was going to say, if you want, she wanted to hold or I could get information, I do have uh, several colleagues in the Atlanta area that practice down there that I could try to, you know, give her names of podiatrists down there. Great, great, great. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you're you. welcome. Thank you. And we can definitely do that on the blog site. Okay, so. yes, I'd be happy to. Mm-hmm. Okay, so can... Um, Let's go into the discussion about women's shoes and men's shoes. And, you know, one of my major questions is is these, um, you know, the the new advent of these, like, six- and seven-inch heels and platforms <laughs> yeah. that are, like, four- and five-inches thick and yeah. stuff like that. I mean, that just mm-hmm. looks like it's horrible for your feet. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so I think I get a lot of questions about um, shoes, especially being the only female doctor in my group. I people, I'm like the go-to person about all things about women's shoes, which is great, but <laughs> I love it. So it gives me an excuse to, like, shop online and go to the store so I can keep myself abreast of what's going on in the store. But um, as far as heels, I think, um, I mean, as a woman, I, first of all, I have to say, I don't think heels are the devil. I think a lot of times, Yes, there are some that are very high and ridiculous, and I've seen people come in with ankle sprains because of heels. Right. I think you have to look at your activity and what your function is with the shoe and use some judgment with that. Um, if you go into an event and you have on a very nice outfit and you want to put on some heels, I mean, that's very realistic. I think, you know, bring a pair of flats or flip-flops in your bag, change when you get out of the car and walk into the event, look very cute, and then when you get out into your car or wherever you're going, you change back into your flats, and then you go about your business. So I think it depends on what your activity level is going to be. Um, if you plan on walking a long distance in those shoes, that's not something I recommend. Um, one thing I do say about heels, especially when you're trying on shoes, if they're not comfortable in the store, they're not going to be comfortable when you get them home. So if it's pinching your big toe and your little hammer toe is like screaming out in pain, then it's not going to feel good when you get home, or especially when you go to that event and you put on those shoes, you're going to have pain. So I would say look for materials that are made of leather or stretchable material and heels, and especially the forefoot area of the toe box that you feel are going to be comfortable. Um, a lot of times the chronic use of heels can definitely lead to other issues. I mean, that is, we know that. So you know, very high, high heels can lead to um, shortening of the, what's called the Achilles, that tendon in the back of your ankle. Um, it can also lead to ball of the foot pain. That's called metatarsalgia. Um, it can lead to um, toe pain or toe dislocation from stretching the structures on the bottom of the foot. So, I mean, after chronic use, I mean, I'm meaning wearing them every day to work, every time you turn around you have on heels, yes, you can see issues. But I think... You know, as a woman, I totally understand. I love a cute shoe like everyone else, and I don't think it's – I don't tell patients don't wear heels. That's just not realistic. I think you just wear what's comfortable, what's sensible, and make sure you wear a variety of types of shoes, not just heels all the time. Mm-hmm. So. And the fit. That's one of the most important things. Yes, exactly, because a lot of times, I mean, I've been there. The shoe is cute. I love it. I need it. I have to have it, but they don't have an eight and a half, so I can't get it. And, yes, there is temptation to to squeeze that foot into that half size or size smaller because I need that shoe. But at the end of the day, your feet are going to be hurting and you're going to cause damage to your foot. Um, so it's definitely not worth it. Yeah, breaking in a shoe is damaging your foot. So you don't want to get shoes that you have to break in. Right, right. For the most part, you shouldn't. Um, you really shouldn't have to. You, I mean, you know, there's things out there you can put. Um, now they have inserts that are made a little bit more slender. You can get over the counter for heels. So um, gel pads you can put under the forefoot. Um, so it's okay to put little modifications in the shoe to kind of make them more comfortable but nothing extreme. If, if you have an extreme pain, then you need to, you know, kind of rethink your shoe choice. Mm-hmm. And, and comments for men? Men as well. Um, I, I love shoes, so I usually I'm always noticing what type of 
shoes the patient has, especially if they're having a foot problem. I usually 99% of the time look at the shoes um, in the beginning. Um, I've seen men, you know, wearing, and I'm not saying these things are bad, and that I mean it in a negative way, but some certain shoes like cowboy boots, men have very pointy shoes sometimes. Um, their shoes tend to be a little bit wider, so they don't tend to see a lot of issues with shoes with them. But, again, with men, um, just wear what's comfortable, wear what's sensible for you. Um, and a lot of times um, patients will have, like, a favorite pair of shoes, especially a lot of my older patients will have, like, a favorite pair of shoes that they have for many years, and they're no longer providing the support that they need. So just um, with men, it's not so many issues with their shoes. They're pretty, pretty few from what I've seen. Do they tend to have a lot of foot, foot issues, or is it more so women and children? They do as well. Um, as far as men's foot issues, um, a lot of times you see athletes' foot um, in their, especially the younger population, ingrown toenails. Um, that is probably one of the most common things that we treat every day in the office. Men, a lot of times, um, and women can get ingrown nails, but, Many times um, they're coming in with ingrown toenails that are infected, and the way to treat that many times is going to involve numbing the toe and really aggressively removing the ingrown part of the nail. And don't do bathroom surgery. Just, you know, if you have an issue, just come in and let it be treated because oftentimes it can get worse by trying to do bathroom surgery, you know, on your own. So. Well, is there something we can do to prevent that? If it's if it's so um, prevalent, is it something you know that that we can do to prevent it? Yes. Well, there there are certain few reasons why people get ingrown nails. Some of it comes from just genetically. Some people have a nail plate. The nail plate is the hard part on the nail. Some people just genetically have a nail plate that's curved, that's very rounded on the edges. So they're just more predisposed to having the the nail dig into the flesh. That's one reason. The second mm-hmm. reason is cutting the nail too short. So when the nail is cut too short, especially at an angle in the corner, it allows the skin fold to go on top of the nail and causes it to get worse. And another reason is because some people have a very proud flesh. If you look around the outside of the nail, the skin is very is thick or very proud. So that just tends to envelop the nail plate. So one of those three reasons, or all or a few, may be the reason people have ingrown nails. Mm-hmm. Um, if left untreated, it can lead to infection, um, a lot of pain, um, and it can really, you know, definitely be painful. So don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. If you think you have an ingrown nail or it's beginning to get that way, just come in and have it treated. Okay. And, Dr. Wall, would you um, – how often do you – would you suggest that we have our feet examined? Because typically when you go to um, a physician or, you know, whatever type of physician you're going to, whether it's naturopathic or something, they really don't take a good look at your feet. That's true. That's true. A lot of times, well, for diabetic patients, we recommend they come in at least every three months for an mm-hmm. exam. Um, and what we do with the diabetic patient with an exam, we're checking the circulation. Um, a lot of people don't know you have two pulses in your feet. On the top of your foot, you have a pulse. And behind the side of your ankle bone, there's also a pulse. So we are checking pulses. We're checking skin temperature. We're checking to see if there's any deformity, like a hammer toe or a bunion or a callus or something that's causing some type of abnormal pressure. 
we're checking sensation to see, you know, we're using different weight mechanisms of checking how well is, how good is your sensation. So we're doing a lot of things in the office to check, especially for diabetic patients, and it's all preventative maintenance. So usually about every three months, um, we also cut nails, and I know it seems very simple. That's the probably the smaller thing we do, but because going back to the beginning when we we're talking about with neuropathy, with the numbness, a lot of times, you know, good intentions go the wrong way when sometimes people cut their nails. And if they're diabetic and they don't feel, they often can inadvertently cut themselves, um, lead to a sore on the foot, which can get infected and lead to a problem. So a lot of times, especially patients with neuropathy, a lot of times we'll just tell the patient, let us cut your nails because you can't feel if you cut yourself, you can have a problem. And I've seen that before. Patients, you know, don't can't make the appointment, they cut their nails, and I've had someone that has come in bleeding before mm-hmm. and almost had an infection because they couldn't see well and they were trying to cut their nails and that's what happened. But and for non diabetics, if you just if you have some type of foot condition or issue, um, usually we give like a treatment regimen of how often we want to see you back in the office. Um but usually this varies on the condition we're treating, but for diabetics we usually say every three, three months depends on how controlled you are. If you're a patient that pretty much stays out of trouble, it might be twice a year. But mm-hmm. usually we see the patients every three months. And if you're just, oh. like, say you just have your preventative um, medical appointments, what, once a year or once every two years or something for just an average person that has no particular problems? Right. That's usually adequate. Um, sometimes, right, it, and this depends. Like, if we're seeing you for a ward or heel pain or some type of tendonitis or something, you know, that may only need to be checked up every checked on every now and then. Um, but if you have any concerns, sometimes it's good to just come in and be seen just for an evaluation. Okay. Yeah. All right. And as uh, we recently had this at a businesswoman's networking event, we had reflexology sessions done, foot reflexology sessions. And what is your take on that in terms of? Um, how beneficial it is to overall foot health. Right. I mean, that I don't really have necessarily an opinion per se about that, only because in my training that's not something that we studied from our from our perspective. I definitely have seen people that definitely believe in it and feel that they it's been beneficial to them. So I think if it's helpful to you then, you know, by all means continue it. But um that's not something I personally have studied, so I can't really comment too much on reflexology. But okay. a lot of times um, people think of podiatry, they do think of reflexology and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I, guess, I think that's more of a holistic um, type of yeah. way that um, I don't really have a lot of information about. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us this evening um, about foot health and some of the symptoms that we can see manifest in our feet and how we can what we can do to prevent it and to um to actually um help heal. So we appreciate you being with us this evening. And I'd like to ask you if you would share your contact information with us again. Sure. And thank you so much for having me. I really have enjoyed just giving information and I know it's there's so much, you know, to talk about in a short time, but I really appreciate the opportunity to share. Um, but my contact information, um, I'll start by giving you our office number. It's 703-379-0700. Um, my name is Dr. Monique Roll, 
and our website is www.alexandriapodiatry.org. Um, we have two office locations. One is in Alexandria, Virginia, off of King Street. Exit 5 is Metro Accessible. The address is 3543 West Braddock Road in the Bradley Shopping Center. Our second office is in Annandale, Virginia, at 7023 Little River Turnpike, and that's exit 3A, also 395. So we see a lot of patients in the DMV area. We're very accessible. Um, the King Street office is accessible to Metro and bus. Our end of the office is only by, probably by car, but we're close to the Beltway. We're minutes from D.C., so I want to see all of our DMV patients come into the office because it's a very, very convenient location. So I hope I was able to give a lot of information and hopefully help some listeners out there with concerning foot health. Yes, thank you for being with us. It was very informative. Thank you. And we'd like, like you. you to come back. Um, I would be happy to. Thank you so much. And and we'd like to invite um, our listeners, too, that if you have a question or a comment that you'd like to make or a question you'd like to post to Dr. Roll to visit us on our uh, blog, www.fluidmagazine.com, and leave your question. And uh, Dr. Roll has so graciously agreed to uh, check in and answer any questions or comments that she might find there. Um, Raisa, we have some upcoming events. Would you like to share with um our audience, what's happening with this? On November 3rd, we're holding our second annual symposium, which is called Power Up for 2013, and we'll be talking about ways to release unwealthy habits, and that's exactly what we mean to put on the word, um, versus unhealthy, it's unwealthy, and whether that be around physical health, your know, mental attitude towards finances and health, we are going to have some dynamic speakers speak to us there and invite you to come out to Decatur, Georgia, if you're in the Atlanta area, on November 3rd. Thank you. We're really excited about that. We we do have some awesome speakers. And we'd like to uh, close our show with a quote that uh, pertains to the topic. Um, Dr. Roll, would you, do you have a quote from yourself or someone else that you'd like to share with us? Yes. Well, it's not necessarily a quote but a philosophy. I think that... Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I always tell patients is that, you know, I treat everyone like a family member. I think if you treat everyone like they're your brother or sister or mom or dad, then I know I'm giving my patients the best treatment because I would do what for my patients what I would do for myself or a loved one or family member. So that's, that's how I go about treating patients. Um, and I just would encourage everyone to just take care of your health, um, there's so much information out there, so if you have questions, don't be afraid to ask. And, um, you know, we're here in the community to help, um, diabetic and non-alike. So I just um, want to say just, you know, your body is your temple. Take care of yourself and live your life every day to the fullest. Um, don't take anything for granted. I work in the medical field. I see a lot of things, and I just reminds me to live every day, laugh, live, love, love one another, and just enjoy yourself and keep the stress levels down. Thank you so much, Dr. Roll, for sharing that. Raisa, did you want to share? Yes, I have one dealing with healing naturally. It, The human body is predisposed to heal itself and to exist as a healthy, thriving organism. We inhibit that process by ingesting unhealthy foods, fouling our inner environment with toxins, and relying on poisonous substances to treat disease. 
It's amazing but true that many of the most effective healing therapies are simple things that you can do for yourself at home. You just have to educate yourself and take responsibility for your own health, and that's from Ken Adachi. Thank you, and I'd like to share the feet are the gateway to 10,000 illnesses and just as many ways to heal, and that the Chinese herb my two cents added. And we'd like to thank you for listening to Sisters in Spirit this evening, and thank you, Dr. Roll, for being with us and sharing valuable information. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, and good night. Good night. You've been listening to This Internet Radio. Until the next time, enjoy the fluid flow of life by remembering to infuse harmony into your everyday living.